Can a classic spaghetti western western? <laughs> What's a western? <laughs> Can a classic spaghetti western give you food for thought? Rim shot, please. <laughs> Nothing but um bum. There you go. We're gonna talk about that and Blade Runner twenty forty nine on this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. Oh, off the rails already. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside our crazy brains. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're a little crazy this week, too. Super crazy. As Tuco screams for mercy, Blondie returns into sight. There are two kinds of people. What those kinds of people? who have loaded guns and those who dig. Spoiler alert! Wait, is it a spoiler? Guys, we're talking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Classic spaghetti western. Can you spoil a movie like this? Can you spoil a movie like this? Oh, yeah, you can. You could, but at the same time, there's something unique about The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly that uh, it might be spoiler-proof. We'll have to talk about that. All righty. As we get into any spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't seen this movie that's almost, what, 60 years old now? It's super old. Super old. Uh, Then, you know what? You deserve to be spoiled. Yeah, to, to be spoiled yeah. or to have it spoilt? To have the spoilers spoilt? There's some spoilage <laughs> going on. Am Lots I spoiling the, the spoilers that have been spoilt? <laughs> I don't even know what that word means anymore. Oh. Elsewhere, guys, Blade Runner 2049. Which, speaking of spoilers, is a very spoiler-laden movie. It's a very oh, spoiler-laden movie. We're going to try to be spoiler-free about it. We may. We'll see. How I mean, we are going to be spoiler free about it yeah. because guess what? I haven't seen it. Okay. I have a lot All of right. thoughts about it, as is typical of my know-it-all self. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've read a lot about it already. <laughs> I think I've avoided spoilers, but I want Paul to avoid spoilers because I might, right, I'll, I might I'll, I'll angel this at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it'll be. We are not sponsored by long. VidAngel. Yeah. No, no. I only VidAngel some stuff. Yeah. I don't. It's, I don't VidAngel all the bad stuff. <laughs> just the bad sex stuff. That's so, all I've been angel. Yeah. So, which makes me feel really bad. Like, I know we talked about VidAngel on here before, but I didn't get to talk about the fact that when you when I tried the new VidAngel where you can filter your Netflix queue. Yeah. And I'm like going through and it, it gets so granular. It's like, do you want to take out this reference to poop? Do you want to take out this <laughs> reference to crap? What about this reference to poop? And I'm like, I can decide which references to poop I can leave in. <laughs> It's so granular that you're sitting there and you're like, well, take this sex scene or this, you know, like inappropriate scene out. And then it's like, but do you want to leave this other one in? <laughs> it's like subtly like, guilt tripping you. There's, as like you all these little subtle temptations yeah. actually because it says, oh, do you want this one? It's a, oh, it's you a were really, good. You canceled that one It's a out, really but, weird buffet yeah. of options to wow. be like, you know what? I want this F word, but not that one. <laughs> And you can do that with the new Fit Angel filter. So there you go. Again, this episode and sort of this the podcast decibel level. You yeah, know? we are not uh, we are not sponsored in any way or affiliated in any way with Fit Angel. Yeah. Well, which might be obvious. At this point. <laughs> it's like that was really weird product placement. <laughs> Very. They just hated on it the whole time. <laughs> I don't hate on it. It's just it is an odd thing. Well, it is an odd thing. The whole concept is odd, but that feels like another podcast, you know. <laughs> and one we did once. And when we, did, we already we didn't did get it. onto that part of it, no, though. the buffet I, of like when you're taking bad stuff out of a movie, which bad stuff is okay to leave in a movie? Well, and and there's a whole big and who philosophical thing. Yeah, I know it's it's a really complicated thing with which we should talk about again sometime <laughs> because, well, I'm sure we get into an argument, and we do love to argue on this. We show. love to fight, and I'm sure we have some coming up over the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is how we're going to kick this bad boy off. We're going to save the spoiler-free discussion of Blade Runner 2049 for after our discussion of Clint Eastwood's spaghettiest western ever. Spaghettiest western. Full of sauce. Full of sauce. Full of Parmesan cheese. Full of balls. Meatballs, that is. (laughs) (laughs) Without further ado, it's time for the backlist Hall of Shame.
Welcome inside the Backlist Hall of Shame, the place where Paul and I have to hang our heads in sorrow and admit to all the films that we should have seen but haven't, and then force each other, one by one, to watch them. Be hard to do it two by two? That would be... I mean, that would be binging in its finest, (laughs) especially with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Oh, yeah. Which is three hours all by itself. Why did you make me watch such a long movie? I had to to split it up, seriously, (laughs) in two nights because I couldn't watch it all. Like an old theater matinee, right? Where there was that part in the middle where you go get your popcorn. Yeah, it was like a 48-hour intermission. You know? A forty-eight-hour intermission. <laughs> See, that's the way. That's the way that should be done. You know? It really should. It's like like back in the day when you had two VHSs and you had that really hard and fast stopping point. Like it's like, look, we just finished this tape. Now we've got to rewind it so we're not ticked off at ourselves the next time we try to watch this movie. Or if you're me and it's gone with the yeah. wind, you leave that fast forwarded all the way. Back oh my goodness! So you can delay the inevitable as long as possible. Because you hate to see but it I, end. I digress. I digress. Paul had never seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. No, no. And this was actually the very first. I think technically the very first spaghetti western I've ever seen. Never. Wow, seen, you've yeah. never seen any. Never seen any of Clint Eastwood's westerns except for Unforgiven, which doesn't count. Um, yeah, so this was my very first spaghetti 60s Western. And um, just to unpack the plot a little bit, <laughs> such <laughs> the plot such as it is, you have... I mean, it's a good plot. Well, it's sort of an interesting... It's well, just twisty. It's, we'll get into that. All right, all right. So, so essentially what happens is you've got these three characters. you got the good, who's Clint Eastwood, of course. you got mm-hmm. the bad. Blondie. Yeah, exactly. His name is Blondie in the movie. They call him Blondie. You have the bad, whose name is Angel Eyes, ironically. Great name. And then you have the ugly, who's this goofy ne'er-do-well named Tuco. Yeah, like, you know what? It took me coming back to this movie to realize that Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ripped, totally ripped off the good, the bad, and the ugly. Totally ripped off the good, bad, but and the ugly. So, continue. So it has Probably all, these, out, all these characters. Yeah, absolutely. So it has all these characters. And really, actually, when you think about Breaking Bad, there's some similarities to For good, sure. the bad, and the ugly. But we'll get into that on another podcast. So essentially, these three dudes are in the Old West, and they come old, across... Old, West. Old, Old West. We're talking Civil War. And uh, they, it's actually in New Mexico. And but there's civil war battles going on there, which actually happened. But in the midst of their gallivanting around, shooting people, cheating people out of money, shooting more people, they come across this secret that there's a grave somewhere that has two hundred thousand dollars buried. And back then, it was a lot of money. Well, yeah, two hundred grand in gold in the Goodness 1860s. Gracious. We're talking millions upon millions yeah, now, see, right? Now Maybe you, even hundreds. Yeah, yeah, you can't even buy a Lamborghini for that now. And it was buried in a grave? Yeah, buried in a grave. Dude, they did things right in the 1860s. And so, essentially, the whole movie is about the weird adventures that these guys go on and the strange things that they have to deal with in order to get this cash. And the And the twist is, one of the twists is, is that... Two of the people wind up coming to know where the graveyard is, but Blondie knows the actual grave, but not the graveyard. He knows the actual grave where the right. money's buried. And so they all have to sort of work together in a very strange, odd, violent way to to come across this money. And, and to are they going to split it three ways? Heavens to Betsy, no, they are not going to do that. But they still have to use each other to get to the graveyard, to get to the grave and do their thing. Yeah. And it sets up uh, some madcap adventures. Madcap. Madcap. It felt a little like Tom Sawyer, you know, or, or Huckleberry Finn, you know, yeah. where they're sailing down and they're doing their thing, and but they have all this adventures, these adventures along the way. And the adventures, frankly don't have a lot to do with the plot. They don't. And that, you know, so we've talked before a couple of podcasts ago about, like, Singing in the Rain, which was on my backlist. Paul made me watch it, and I complained about wasted time. (laughs) Um, And and you know what? I can see how Paul is probably going to make an argument here, so I just want to cut it off right at the knees (laughs) about this wasted time because I I think you're – I think you're – Tying it to like the adventures of Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn is apt in that while those 
particular things are are like the the where they get tied up in the civil war at different points and in these little side quests to me make it more of an epic adventure because and that's what i view the film as ultimately is it's a treasure hunt and like it's a mad 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 right. world right there's things that happen along the way that feel very real to life like even yeah. if it's in a setting that yeah, I can't imagine, really, you know, guys. Really this was one time. Life. This was one time I was hunting for treasure, and I got caught up in the Civil War. <laughs> and no, <laughs> but the way yeah, life so, does, where you get rabbit trailed by stuff, as yeah. you you have your eyes set on this goal, and all of a sudden something comes at you sideways, knocks yeah. you clear in the next week, and you're trying to wind your way back, and the adventures that you have along the way. And so I really appreciated the kind of how they t- how uh, Sergio Leone took a western and right. turned it into this kind of epic adventure film yeah in no. my opinion no and i think a lot of people agree with you i mean when you look on the internet people often call the good the bad and the ugly i looked at this site called ranker it's the number one western on the list um and i think that people really did appreciate that epic adventure style to it i think they appreciated and i did too i really appreciated just the style of the movie i mean there's a lot of uh a lot of stylistic flourishes done by the director. Um, he loves his trick shots. He loves his zooming in really closely on people. He loves his faraway shots yeah. where you see them. I think that, that the, fi- the finale of the, the movie, which takes place, of course, in the graveyard, they have this sort of circle of stone, and you have the three main characters doing, doing their little... They're standing essentially at these ends of this circle, all getting set to... You know, do whatever they're going to do. Blow each other, the kingdom come. Right, and and in terms of the movie, it makes no sense why they do that. No sense whatsoever why they're all lining up to shoot each other. <laughs> yeah. Logically, Who just stands in a circle to do this. Like, wouldn't they just like, pop, 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 done? Like Departed it's style, the stupid Departed thing style, ever. where it's just like, <laughs> exactly. oh, I see you, I shoot you, you're dead. I haven't seen the Departed, but oh, okay, well, that's in the Departed. It's like I see you, I shoot you, you're dead. Yeah, no, and, and that and that makes sense. But you have this huge setup with this music going, and it's just this massive scene that makes no sense, but it's really compelling. It's yeah. it's beautiful and tense and thrilling and so you can see why people appreciate this movie um and i appreciated parts of this movie like i say this is this was my first real um step into the world of of spaghetti westerns this was the first time I had ever seen Clint Eastwood as a young man in a movie, quite frankly. Oh, really? I've never seen him as a young man. I've never seen So you him. haven't seen, like, the outlaw Josie Wales and haven't stuff like that? that. Oh, haven't seen that. Haven't seen any of his Dirty Harry stuff. So this You was, haven't seen Dirty Harry haven't either? Haven't seen Dirty Harry, yeah. Good grief. So, uh, so from that perspective, it was really interesting, and, and it, felt, it felt very stylish. Mm-hmm. It And... And it was a rollicking adventure story in a way. But three hours of it, I kind of lost my patience. I, 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 honestly, I was looking around on, on like, top lists yeah. just to see what, you know, the, the American Film Institute thought of it. It didn't make it on its list, and I was sort of relieved by that because although a lot of people consider it a classic – I don't think that this would make it into my, you know, top 10 list, top 20 list of, of best Westerns. Sure. Oh, even of best Westerns. Even of best Westerns. Interesting. Yeah. It, because it, it did make Time's 100 greatest movies of the last century. Yeah. According well, to Corliss and Schickle. And again, you know, it's really interesting. But And part of that may be, Jake, because of the way I interact with Westerns themselves. Mm. The other thing I think about these spaghetti westerns, particularly by by the director. You say the name because I won't be able to pronounce it. Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone. He um he actually sort of deconstructed the whole western mythos. Right. Um, you know, before these spaghetti westerns came on the scene, um, westerns were really sort of a crucible of morality in some ways. And you had guys good guys and you had bad guys and and the lines were really fairly well defined you have some exceptions um but there there was a lot of in in some ways i think the classic american westerns 
were sort of like the superhero stories of the day, right? Where you had these these huge good and evil conflicts that were that were, you know, settled basically in a dusty old street where people gunned each other down. Um, but the the, the as, as Westerns, any good argument should be settled. <laughs> I mean, we, really we got to make America great again, people. <laughs> No, please do not hear me advocating for shootouts and times in the middle of town. So, so the spaghetti westerns were, in a way, deconstructing that. Um, even the name, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, if it was going to be titled fairly, it would be the pretty bad, the really bad, and the and the awful, awful, terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, these people were were. Very. I mean, they they were sort of the anti-heroes of the day, and even the best of them was doing lots person. of stuff that yeah. that you wouldn't you know recommend to anybody. And so, because of that, because of the the inherent flaws within these characters, it was harder for me to embrace than say um, a Treasure of the Sierra Madre or a High Noon, sure, um, or even a Shane. You know, where you had. You had something to root for. These these characters were compelling, and these characters were obviously really powerful, um, but they weren't very good. You know what? Honestly, Jake, I think that this is it's ironic that you had on my backlist Hall of Shame that you had me do No Country for Old Men and The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly because in a way they're the exact same movie. Yeah, very similar, and and it probably tells you a lot more about me than anything, <laughs> that both of them ended up on your backlist hall of shame. Yeah. Yeah, because both are studies of are, – both are movies without heroes. Yeah, very I mean, flawed characters. Even, even in No Country for Old Men, where you have ace – like – two sympathetic characters they don't get much a whole lot of screen time and one of them is pretty depressed and just kind of is losing his hero shine yeah. because he's kind of giving up right and and what you find in the good the bad and the ugly is although maybe not quite as depressing of a take you know since leone was trying to you know kind of skewer westerns a bit right and the violence of westerns so it's it's a little bit or maybe a lot of bit tongue-in-cheek in places so that kind of keeps it from becoming entirely depressing right. but there isn't there isn't a hero that you can get behind and root for yeah and so you know you really are being strung along by the adventure by the twists and the turns you know it's like this winding river full of rapids where as soon as you think maybe I've I've hit a lazy bend, all of a sudden there's a new wrinkle thrown in, and that's what's pulling you along more so. And again, they are good characters, and 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 all the actors do a great job with it. But it's not like there's somebody here that you can really root for. Right? They're they're tough hombres. They're powerful people, yeah. but they're not good. You don't root for them, but you can respect them for what they are. Yeah. You know. And and to your point, like the things that Leone did in this movie, um, like there's and what makes it a classic and why I think similar to what uh, my experience with Vertigo was, uh, watch, you know, re- going back and finally watching that Alfred Hitchcock classic is sure it gets long in places. You know, that was my complaint with that. Uh, but so many so many visual things and and, and auditory things that both directors did. You know, they have some classic uh, use of sound in both movies. I mean, the I mean, if you think of Westerns, it's hard to think. I mean, it's got the 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 whistle and the from from the uh, the good, the bad and the ugly is one of the most iconic sounds from Hollywood in general, let alone Westerns. And and then those close up shots where you're just getting the eyes of these guys, but then also where he pulls way back and shows yeah. these incredible long shots. You know, there's so many things that have held over the course of time, you know, that Leone really spearheaded in this movie and that's one of the other things I appreciate about it. Yeah. In fact I just watched a movie recently called The Good, the Bad and the Weird, which is a Korean Western. <laughs> which is a really Yeah fun movie it it is rated r it's more violent than the good the bad and the ugly is and bloodier than the good the bad and the ugly is but a very interesting send-up yeah of the good the bad and the ugly by a south korean filmmaker yeah Yeah. and and to your point so it's 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 like it's italian it's american it's global like it hits themes that kind of resonate no it, it does and and to your point it is aged well you know, those images are still powerful images. It didn't feel 
unlike some of the westerns that I tend to like, like if you watch Shane today, I'd imagine that that even though it's a great movie, it probably can feel a little bit old and a little bit hokey maybe in places. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly really doesn't do that. Now, I would say that even though you say that Vertigo drags in places, every single moment of that movie needed to be where it was. Hmm. I don't think I can say the same thing about The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I think that you could have cut out literally half this movie, (laughs) still had a really powerful story, still had a really fun story, and, you know... Kept my wife awake. <laughs> yeah, because she that's was Paul's, not a big fan of this Okay, movie. that's Paul's rubric, and now I see his measuring stick is, does Wendy stay awake? <laughs> fair, fair, that's fair. So, Paul, what would you give The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly on a scale of 1 to 10? Okay, so, so i got to make a caveat here, because this is sort of interesting. I don't think that The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly was as good a movie as No Country for Old Men. Okay. Yet, I would more readily watch this over No Country for Old Men. Yeah. So I'm a little bit conflicted. So you it, can get so you could give it your your personal score, and you could give it an objective score and a subjective. Yeah, score. Yeah, I think I think in terms of I think in terms of of a movie, I would probably give it six and a half. Okay. In terms of its watchability, so it really dragged for you. Oh yeah. man, you know it's so. This is really tough for me because, like you say, I remember all those iconic moments. Sure. They have so many iconic moments and the score and all that sort of stuff. Maybe let's give it a seven. But I think in terms of just the watchability of it, um, an eight. Okay. With your with your finger on the fast forward button, <laughs> it's like we're just gonna skip this desert scene here and this bath scene. Oh here. look, they're in the they're in the prisoner of war camp. Let's go <laughs> right through that. Cool, we're done. All right, I already saw the bridge over the river Kwai, so I didn't need that yeah, drop didn't need in the, the middle of. It was like it was like maybe as he was filming the movie, he watched Bridge Over the River Kwai. He's like, you know what? We need to put that inside. Hey, so I've got a little piece of trivia for you. Hit me we, with some trivia. As we go out of this. The bridge scene. There's a famous scene where this bridge is blown up. Mm-hmm. They actually had to film it twice because they put the cameras too close to the actual explosion. So all the cameras were knocked over. But they had to rebuild the bridge oh, in man. order to do it. So That'll put a kink in your production schedule. <laughs> Oh, well, there you have it. Paul's take on the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's finally seen it for the first time. Yay. For the last time, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now it's now it's time for me to pick one Now Paul's got to pick right? off my list. Do you know what's on my list remaining, Paul? You, you know, know what, what you're picking I, for I me? I think I know what I'm going to pick for you if – yep, I know exactly what I'm going to pick. All right, lay it on me. Um, we're going to go with – a classic, another classic done probably actually around the same time. So the the eras are pretty compatible. All right. Um, and I'm going to give you 2001 A Space Odyssey. 2001 A Space Odyssey. I feel like they might be separated by like a decade, but maybe not. I think maybe they were not. both made in the 70s. So. Let's, let's take a look here so I can prove Paul wrong. Well, no, because the good, the bad, and the ugly was 66. That I do. Oh, know. what? Yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah, so you're totally right. But, they no, but, you were, but we're both wrong in that 2001 A Space Odyssey was 68. Look at that. Oh. Paul, you were right originally, even though you were wrong about what <laughs> decade. <laughs> yeah. You were wrong about the decade, yeah. but you were right that they were close. All right. All right, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Really? Yeah, That's look at that. interesting. I didn't realize it yeah. was that old. I I was thinking 2001 Space Odyssey was 70s as well. You will love 2001 Space Odyssey. Paul, you've heard it here, folks. Paul tells me I'm going to love it. Love so it. We'll find out Open in the next episode. Open the pod doors. And be, you know what? Feel free to grab yourself a copy at your local library. Look it up on Amazon Prime or your preferred digital video vendor. Watch it along with us. Watch it along with us and uh, tell us what you think. But until then, next, coming up soon... Immediately after I'm done saying this long string of words, we're going to talk Blade Runner 2049. Back in 1982, director Ridley Scott created one of the most seminal um, science fiction movies of our time called Blade Runner. 
Now, all these years later, um, we have a sequel to Blade Runner called Blade Runner 2049. Um, it is a fascinating little sequel. Didn't do very well, actually, in the box office. I don't think that... Uh, I think maybe... The time, the expiration date on Blade Runner had just gone a little bit too long. But the movie itself is really fascinating. Now, Jake, have you seen the original Blade Runner? Oh, uh, you better believe I've seen the original Blade Runner. Also, for those of my astute friends listening, you may remember that a villain from Blade Runner, the original, made my list of top villains of all time. That's right. So, yes, I'm something of of a Philip K. Dick fan. Yeah, I'm a well, fan of the man as a writer. He, you know, he's got some weird, you know, worldview stuff going on, but dude can write some sci-fi. The dude sci-fi. can write, and every single sci-fi movie ever, pretty much, was based the on The good that. ones. Yeah. Think about it. Like, think no, about really. how many good sci-fi movies have been made based on his work. No, that's crazy. And, and Blade Runner was probably his most famous um, it, Minority Report probably being second. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But and I think then you Blade, get I Am Legend. And then you got I Am Le- uh I Am Legend wasn't him. Wasn't it? No. Uh-uh. I think it might no. have been. No, I Am Legend was not. But you can continue while I prove right. you wrong. All right. So, so the, um, the new Blade Runner picks up, you know, roughly... 30 years, 20 or 30 years. After. By the way, Richard Matheson. Oh! I Am Legend. Who, who am I thinking of? Marathon Man? Was that Philip uh, K. Dick? I don't think that one was either. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally embarrassing myself. That's all right. You just keep talking about this one. Total Recall was Philip K. Dick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's trippy I'm one. I'm, I was, um, yeah. The Arnold Adjustment Bureau. Movies. Come on now. All right. So anyway, the, uh, the new oh, Blade Runner movie. Scanner Darkly. Yeah. Guys, all these ones I'm forgetting about. All right. The new Blade Runner. <laughs> Philip K. Dick, guys, this dude writes sci-fi in his sci-fi short stories, too. Guys, they're yeah. insane. Well, I got to ask you, are they actually good stories? I mean, They are. So they're really worth reading. Yes. All right. I've never read Now, them. content caveat with Jake Roberson. Philip K. Dick, you know, he didn't mind going to dark places which is evident in his movies. And so, you know, you're going to run into some heavy stuff and you're going to run into lots of rough edges. But the man can write sci-fi and really explore some crazy themes. Yeah, Yeah. no, and and Blade Runner was one of those. And I think that it's, in some ways, the Blade Runner movies, and I say that plural, um, they really tackle some fascinating issues, particularly, I think, from when you come from uh, a Christian worldview, but really from any worldview. I mean, they really make you ask the question, what is life? What constitutes human life? And uh, Blade Runner dealt with that very, very deeply. The, the new movie deals with that in a different sort of way. Um, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I think I need to sort of go into it. You already know it, Jake, but... Uh, but just warning everybody who's listening. If you're the type of person who can't stand any yeah. to know anything yeah. about a movie before you see it, then it's going to be a spoiler. It's yeah. not going to it's not going to tear the movie apart. It's not going to be that penultimate yeah. spoiler that, you know, right. ruins right. the whole thing. But Right. It's do it, be it happens in the two, it happens in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. But this is this is a movie that really depends on a lot of twists and turns. This one is just part of the plot. And I'm going to give it away. So essentially what happens is Kay, who is played by um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Who, who acts. Ryan Gosling. <laughs> He's one of the best straight man actors that there are. Is he, he That's a stretch. Well, he, he never, He's one note. He is one note. That is exactly right. Um, he plays this guy named Kay, this Blade Runner named Kay. And a Blade Runner's job is to actually hunt Wait, is this down. Men in Black? <laughs> it sounds wait, like a mixing universe is mind blown. That it's was a crazy, crazy spoiler. Crazy. Whoa. So he lives in a world where there are these artificial humans, these synthetic humans. Replicants. Called replicants. And they eat, they breathe, they do pretty much everything that we do, but they are created by us. You know? By the humans. Exactly, exactly. And so, so they don't the humans, is, bro. As we learned in the first movie, sometimes these replicants can get a little too big for their britches, and so they they feel like they're human, too, and they should have rights of 
humans. Wow. And so yeah. when that happens, society sends out these Blade Runners to track them down and, and quote-unquote retire them. Ryan Gosling plays one of these Blade Runners. He is tasked with hunting down um, replicants and retiring them. In the opening moments of the movie, he finds this replicant, and before he retires him, um, the replicant... Let me see if I can phrase this correctly. The replicant says that his view of him would be changed if he had seen the miracle that he had seen, essentially. He learns later that on this guy's property, there are the the bones of a replicant woman buried there that show signs that she gave birth. This is a replicant woman who gave birth. Wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles. Very nice, Jake. It's a little on the roof shout out. (laughs) So... Essentially, this is this is a very very critical moment in this universe that we're dealing with. Uh, yeah, because robots having babies—that's never a big have deal. I seen that outside of Rick and Morty. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big <laughs> deal. So all of a sudden, the the Gosling character Kay really has to to sort of wonder: is what what is he going to do with his job now? And when his boss tells him that because of the significance of of this thing, this birth, tells him to hunt down anybody involved with this birth, including the child that was born, who's probably 20-something now, and erase all evidence that this had ever happened, um, all of a sudden, Kay begins to wonder uh, whether what he's doing is right. Mm. And he really questions the desire of his boss to kill the child. Mm. He says, I've never retired anything who had been born before. And that's a pretty significant thing. So you have these elements of, of what does that mean for this universe? And I think that, that in some ways, um, the, whole, the whole movie um, becomes a, a huge rumination on the nature of the soul. When does the soul enter a person? When are we human? When are we? When do we have that divine spark, essentially, um, that I think that we as Christians believe that we have? Um, and I think it's just a, a really, really interesting rumination on all that. I, I, it was one of the better movies that I've seen this year. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as the original Blade Runner, but it is a pretty fine sequel. It yeah. doesn't do itself... You know, it doesn't embarrass itself by any means, and I think it's really worth seeing if you can get by some of the content. Content you know? caveat with Paul Ache. Yeah, so it's a it's a fascinating exercise, and I'd be really interested if you if you click it up on Netflix and do your VidAngel thing, and and uh, I would be very interested to hear what you would think about this, Jake. Yeah, because you know this this type of story is, and this type of fascination with what what is what does it mean not only to be human but right. what is it that makes somebody human what is that soul what is what constitutes life we talked about this actually back when we talked about alien covenant mm-hmm. because ridley scott who appropriately directed the original uh, blade runner is fascinated this with this question as is philip k dick as is i think what we're seeing with this yeah. film dennis villeneuve right i don't know how to say his name either <laughs> villeneuve, villeneuve i feel so pretentious when i try to say it um and and to me it the other thing i like about this is it gives us a window into what i think it means for us as christians to be to learn and to respond in turn with what it means to truly be culturally relevant with our faith. Right. Because I think that gets twisted a lot of times into thinking that means that I have to see all the latest things and I have to be hip and I have to be cool. But actually what I think it really means is understanding that which the culture is longing for Mm -hmm. and understand and, and understanding how they're searching for it, Mm -hmm. but underlying that what they're searching for. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. And so with these stories, we can oftentimes as Christians get really hung up with in our conversations around them, hung up over the problems. Was there nudity? Was there violence? Was there language? And those are important things that we need to be aware of and that we need to appropriately filter or censor for ourselves, which is why I'm not going to watch this right. movie in theaters because I've made the decision for myself that, you know what, I don't want to be exposed to nudity and sexual content of this to this of this kind in the stuff I watch. Mm-hmm. However, there's some real truths lurking mm-hmm. in the story yeah. and and even being celebrated in the story that to me highlight something that the culture is looking for right now. What yeah. does it mean to be human? Yeah. What does it mean to exist and to have life and where does it begin and how does it impact what I do and how I treat people now? Yeah. Well, and I think that makes it a pretty important story. Yeah. And and you bring up a really really valid point and it makes it, it reminds me actually that one of the most powerful things about this movie and one of the most interesting things about this movie is how human these replicants are by by Blade Runner 2049. They they really do everything that we do. They they dislike certain things. They like certain things. You see hints that they can be intimate. You see all these elements. And so it does make you wonder what separates them from us. And it really comes down to what Kay was talking about, the soul. It comes down to this idea that we were built, that we were made for a purpose, that we were made for something special and something much larger than ourselves. Interestingly enough, these these replicants, they know they were made. They were made to be slaves. When you have this birth and when you have this sense that that this birth happens, then all of a sudden you have they are given this this insight, this sense of hope that they may have been built to be slaves by man, but something else had something else in mind for them. That divine spark, that, that essence of hope that they, they can be more than what they are, in some ways gets to the heart of the Christian faith, right? I mean, I think that, that we all have that sense that we are meant for something big, something important, that we are part of God's design, even if, even if we're a very small part of that design. And most of us, you know, we're not going to be presidents or, or powerful people, but we have a place in that design. And to feel that sense that we are part of that, it gives us such a feeling. It, it, it's a transformative feeling yeah. in essence. And I think that that's what these these replicants are sudden, suddenly feeling. They feel like they are meant for something better. And that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, because that's that echoes our human heart that we understand kind of in the midst of this broken world that maybe the reason it hurts so bad is because I think we have this piece of us that knows yeah. that – the world, the world is not supposed to be this way. Our pain is not supposed to manifest this way. And we're not supposed to hurt each other this way. And that calls out to something greater. And yet we're locked in these bodies of sin. And, the, and, and we look at the grand story of Scripture from a Christian worldview and say that, you know, our enemy wants and we're born into these broken replicant bodies that, you know, our, the enemy of our souls would say – you know, excludes us from any higher calling, from being able to bring any good to this world. Yeah. And yet, you know, the gospel says that the kingdom has come here on earth as it is in heaven and it's inside of you via the Holy Spirit. And so actually that divine spark that's been lying latent in you is set off. And, you know, and those are my, I mean, that, that right there, whether it's replicants, whether we're talking Hellboy, like that's the powerful thing, the thing that, we're humankind is looking for this mm-hmm. in our stories yeah. and we can, we can tap into that if we're willing to have conversations with people over messy stories that involve yeah. some really messy things or maybe are around a demon like in Hellboy. And Hellboy the, is a profound, it's a very profound movie things. because yes. it, it's talking about the fact that we feel like this is how we were created or we know this is how we created yeah. and yet something says there's more. Yeah. And people are just trying to figure out what that something is. Yeah. Well, no, it, and it's, it really, it's, it's powerful. We could go on and on and on about that because I think that it's so resonant and so powerful. And in some ways, when you look at a movie like, like Blade Runner 2049, it is, 
it inherently makes you ask those questions. And the answer that you want in some ways is dependent on a soul, which is in turn dependent on God, some divine motivating power. The other thing that this movie sort of reminds me of, and it's interesting that we've seen so many of these movies come down the pipe this this year. I think back to our, our... War of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that discussion that we had, where you have these these apes who are suddenly motivated they, that they they are becoming more humans than the humans that that humanity is devolving, and it challenges me in a way to think about these stories where you have these replicants with possible souls within them, these apes that are sort of becoming more human and more humane than than the human beings they are fighting. It it challenges my faith and makes me wonder, can God's plans change? And I think that that's sort of an interesting question to ask. Or, or whether, I think it's just interesting. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, because certainly the Bible speaks to that in time, you know, where... You think of the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Usually we, we kind of yeah. get sidetracked from an important part of that story, and that's where Abraham pleads with God to to actually change his plan. Right. And God does. And other times where, you know, at the behest of, you know, men and women asking yeah. for something, God making some changes. Yeah. And man, that can get into really trippy space and could it be an really entire could. podcast of its own, like not just a podcast episode, it but really a whole could. like podcast series. But, you know, are there infinite timelines? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and he just flips us over to this one real quick. I don't know. But it is sort of interesting that that you have these these um these filmmakers that are exploring the idea. I think subconsciously or or sometimes very consciously, especially in the case of War for the Planet of the Apes, whether we are at risk of losing our divine birthright mm. um, because of our actions, because of our of our sinful natures, and I think that those are sort of interesting questions to ponder. Mm. Boy, man, now I'm gonna have a whole lot to think about as I fall asleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen this movie yet, but there you have it, Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> and uh, fittingly, it's time for the most least. Important thing. Welcome to the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single show, where we take on the juggernauts of pop culture and we make them look like ants. Or vice versa, the things that nobody's are ta- nobody's talking about that maybe should be really important. Indeed, indeed, and I've got a good one for Kick you. Kick us off, Paul. So uh, I just saw a movie that's probably starting to roll out into into some theaters across the country called The Florida Project. It has a lot of really rough content in it. Content caveat pardo. It's going to be something I recommend that everybody flock to see. <laughs> but at the same time... are there any? Is there anything you recommend people flock to? No, I don't recommend anybody to flock to anything. Uh, yeah, I mean, Except flocking, for maybe 2001. In, flocking in general <laughs> is a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. don't flock. It's kind of cultish. It's just, it's just awkward. Flocking, <laughs> awkward. Anyways... So anyway, this is another film that you don't recommend people flock to. <laughs> but, but at the same time, um, it has a remarkable child actor whose name is Brooklyn Prince. She uh, she plays a little six year old girl. I know she has the greatest name too. She plays a little six year old girl who grows up essentially in this cheap hotel by Disney World. She and her mother, like a lot of the people within the hotel, live there. They're right on the edge of poverty. They live literally day to day, mouth to mouth. I, I mean, <laughs> mouthful to mouthful. Yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. Something Mouth, like mouth that. to meal mouth. To meal. That sounds. Really like a content caveat. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. I'm but, tracking. So, but anyway, her mom has a lot of problems. This little girl, though, because she's six years old, the the hotel, which is called the Magic Kingdom, really does become a magical kingdom for her. She is she is the queen of her particular castle. She <laughs> runs around with all these semi feral kids, and she is an amazing actress. Uh 
amazing. I have never seen a more convincing kid, even in real life. She <laughs> is she is just astounding. She's too real. Is and, this a replicant? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She um she I, it really made me wonder whether the director was doing some some trickery, like not actually she wasn't actually acting. But uh, no, I think that she was. She's been acting since she was two years old. Dang. Um, and she totally stole this movie. Interesting. And I think that even though hardly anybody's going to see The Florida Project, we're going to be actually hearing about this now seven-year-old girl come Oscar time. I mean, are you saying – are you I predicting now – No, I am predicting now. actress, best supporting actress? I think because she's such a part of the movie. She yeah. might be nominated for best supporting actress just because it will give her a better shot. But I think she should be nominated for best actress. She is – I have not seen a, a performance better this year wow. than what this little six-year-old girl did. You heard it here, folks. Paul Acey's bold prediction for the next round of the Academy Awards. Brooklyn Indeed. Prince. Brooklyn Prince. The Remember Florida the name. Project. All right, guys. Uh, so Paul's you know, appropriately taking something that is pretty small, a small child. A small child. In a small movie. Who might win a big award. Might be a, win a big award, in his opinion. Uh, guys, uh, we got to talk about the Star Wars trailer for The Last Jedi. That's that's what I'm bringing to the table here. Because this was made... People are making a big deal out of this, Paul. Well, it's a big deal. It's a Star Wars trailer, it, It's right? a Star Wars trailer, so it was going to be big, but then, like, you know, they're like, we're going to make this even bigger. We're going to... Monday Night Football, you know, one of the most watched things in the United States. And we're going to... In the world. We're going to put it right at the beginning of halftime. And we're going to have stormtroopers marching out on the football field. And everybody who never ha- who hates football is going to watch this game because they want to see the Star Wars trailer. And so everybody settled into their couches for this Monday Night Football Star Wars The Last Jedi trailer. And reactions have been very positive. Yes. Everybody has gone nuts over this thing. And, Paul, I'm here to cry foul. That was not a good trailer. It was just – it was a Transformers – Michael Bay Transformers trailer with Star Wars theme music. It was a bunch of flash and bang and no substance. And guess what? They're going to do the exact same thing they did with The Force Awakens. Oh. Yeah, that's right, where The Force Awakens basically just kind of twisted up A New Hope a little bit. The Last Jedi, what I'm getting from the trailer, they're just gonna they've just twisted yeah. up episode five and six a little bit. Yeah, you know what, Jake? I I Guys, this isn't a big deal. This is a little <laughs> thing. <laughs> so, you know, Jake, generally I don't necessarily trust your feelings on this, especially after the whole Defenders debacle, which was actually a pretty good show. Oh, yeah, you what? Have you finished this? It was, I have finished it. And, and it was you a, were not horrified by the last episode? It was, it was just fine. It was Why fine. Was it, how was it, it fine? Was it's a travesty. Fine. No, it is not a travesty. Yes, nor, it, the acting nor is. Ter- is. The acting is no. terrible. The, the plot it's, completely unravels, and it's ridiculous. No, and Jake, Jake, take your medication. And the turn You're at the fine. end? The ter- Electra's turn at the end? Way oh, worse was, than, the, than no. the turn in... Batman versus Superman, which was dumb itself. No, it was it was just fine. I'm not uh, going to say it was like an all time classic. It wasn't just, but fine, it, wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a disaster. It and a disaster. I made me look Unmitigated. forward to the <laughs> to the to the new chapters no. that are coming up. No, I. All right, but Star all that Wars. said, I have to sort of agree with you on this. I think that the the trailer was fine, but. I think that your suspicion that this is this is going to be just sort of a little tweak of what we saw in The Empire Strikes Back, I think you're probably on to something there. One of the things that sort of disappointed me about this this new series is that it doesn't feel like it's really a new take on anything. It's, it's feeding fans what they want. And the result is some very serviceable movies that can be sure. kind of fun, but they're not that spectacular. And I'm not here to say whether it's right or wrong for them to mash this up. I'm just saying, people, come on now. See it. It's right in front of your eyes. But people are just blinded by nostalgia, Paul. They're I know blinded it. by nostalgia and porgs. Everybody loves that stinky little like thing that sounds like it's going to be the worst thing ever. It, it looks mildly cute. Like it a, looks. It looks cute. like a hamster penguin. It looks cute, right? Like a hamster penguin, like a, a hamster with like penguin flippers on the side or something like that. Yeah, but that You'd noise take it into your house if you saw it that noise down the it was making in yeah. the trailer was awful. Like fingernails on a chalkboard. 
Yeah. And and yet everybody thinks this is the the best thing since I don't know Dobby in Harry Potter. Jar Jar Binks. Everybody was oh, okay. really excited about Jar Jar Binks. It's true. Binks and before, as though. a as a child, yeah. I like Jar Jar Binks. Well, and that that proves my earlier point that we can't trust Jake on anything. I'm not saying that adult Jake likes adult <laughs> Jake's adult Jake likes Jar Jar Binks, but child Jake did. I don't so know. There you go. A fine line between adult Jake and child Jake. The point is, people, don't be fooled. It was not a great trailer. I'm sorry, but not sorry. A good trailer? Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Best trailer James I've seen Gunn this recently year. tweeted that he thinks it's a mashup of Buckaroo Banzai and Flash Gordon. Woo! Which is some pretty interesting comparisons for a Thor movie. It is Especially when you're talking about James Gunn, who made, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, which I probably would have argued was the closest thing the Marvel Universe had to the Buckaroo Banzai series or Buckaroo Banzai movie before. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a little off. Track. Paul is threatening to shiv me as I speak. So I'm going to wrap it up here and say that uh, before I wrap it up, though, I've got to announce our contest winner. Paul. Oh yeah, announce the contest Paul, winner. Like at the in our most least important thing segment last show we uh we said that we were going to put a prompt on facebook and we did uh, to say what is the freakiest most mind-bending movie you've ever seen and <laughs> you could win a copy of the movie gospel a pre-release luke. copy of the gospel of luke <laughs> and uh the winner paul of the gospel of luke is one tim nestor tim nestor which is fitting because tim nestor is a notable heretic <laughs> if you ask me, just Google it. No, don't Google it because you won't find anything. It's just my opinion. Uh, I love you, Tim. <laughs> Glad you entered, and I will make sure we get that copy of the hopefully, Gospel of Luke in your hands, and hopefully, hopefully you'll get saved. Yeah, 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 hopefully so. Hopefully Tim's soul will be saved. <laughs> and if you want to join the madcap happenings of pop culture with fanboy and know-it-all, be sure to hit us up on Facebook. We have a group called Pop Culture with Fan People and Know-it-alls. Who knew? Who I knew? did. Paul didn't. Uh, or, you, or you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And until next time where we will be discussing 2001 A Space Odyssey, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. We could have goofy. We should have weepings. Weep. Weep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Interesting. I mean, that would be easy to. That would be easy to incorporate. Yeah, I think that would be good. Can we also incorporate some gnashing of teeth? Is that what gnashing of teeth is? I see. I can't gnash very well. I just and some rent garments. (laughs) Rent garments. (laughs) And some some burnt ash. Oh my goodness. Some spoilt milk. Spoilt milk. Yeah, this could get <laughs> the a little milk crazy. Is spoilt. I'm sorry I brought it up.